You're listening to episode 25 of the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And we will have today a masterclass, a real discussion about Udamed with somebody that was a bit a part of the team that created Udamed. So it's something that uh, is really interesting. So we have really a, a great SME here. So it's uh, Richard Houlahan from uh, CEO of uh, Udamed.eu, uh, who will help us today to understand what is Udamed and what we should do with this, uh, with this uh, software, with this program. So what manufacturers should do with that. So Richard, how are you? Monair, thank, thank you for inviting me. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. Great. So uh, where are you located now? Uh, currently based in Brussels. Okay, Brussels. So the good city for a European Commission uh, <laughs> a connection with European Commission. So it's great. Uh, so definitely. can you tell us more about you first, and then we can go more on the Udamed uh, Udamed topic. Okay, the thirty second bio. I'm twenty five years in IT. The last eight years, which are probably the most uh, important for this discussion, were with the European Commission. I started off with Udamed 2, and then I moved on to Udamed 3, where I was the technical manager, running the development teams, guiding everything from the designs to the decisions, overseeing the implementations. I was very heavily involved in all stage groups to dealing with the business guys. Fantastic role. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Really thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. So uh, what you say, Udamed 2, Udamed 3, what's that exactly? It's a different phase of the project? or um, Udamed 2 is the current live Udamed. Udamed 2 was only available to the competent authorities. Okay. Nobody else was allowed to upload data. The competent authorities would upload the devices from the manufacturers through the notified bodies used to supply them with the certificates, the incidents, the vigilance. Everything was done only with the competent authorities. Okay. It was like the a mini, a, ba a real baby version of what we have coming up now in Udamed, um, MDR Udamed, it was a which beta is a monster. It was the beta version or something really at the beginning of prototype to test? Well, I joined it in 2011. It's still running. Okay. The so it was it was available even before we were talking about Udamed or about all this with the new MDR. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Really interesting because I, I thought it was really started with the, with the MDR, but apparently no. No, 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 no. And even then, the original Udamed idea, I believe, came from DIMD in Germany. So Udamed 1 would have been a replica of what they had. Okay. Yeah, we have two. Yeah. It has evolved. Exactly. <laughs> and now what are you doing now? Um, I'm running Udamed.eu. It's a company we set up to basically assist the, the medical device industry. 
help the manufacturers, etc., with their uh, their coming trials. And so specifically, I suppose on Udamed, nothing, nothing oh, else. Udamed.eu, everything to do with the data. Okay, great. Okay, so um, I think it's uh, really great that you are here because uh, Udamed is uh, a topic that uh, everybody's discussing actually. There was a lot of release from the European Commission for some guidance, some information, uh, and there are also a lot of questions from the manufacturers uh, yeah. which are asking themselves what they should do now. Uh, so for those that don't really understand what is Udamed, so can we have a first uh, information or uh, definition or what is exactly Udamed? Okay. Udamed is a very large database. That's the, sim the simplest way of putting it. It's a, a multi-modular system. The European Commission include, or the, the, the legislation included Udamed as a core part of the, the MDR. The whole idea of both, the, the combined, is to basically to improve patient safety to inform the public, the whole MDR bit, it's the entire life cycle of a device. And the Udamed database that records everything that the, from the clinical investigations at the start to the certificates to the actual device data, the entire process is tracked within Udamed. It consists of six main modules. Okay. We've got the Actors, the UDI device, the certificates, vigilance, clinical investigation and performance studies, and the smallest of them, I think, is the market surveillance one. Okay. But that's just a piece of it. There's then 14 horizontal modules. The horizontal modules are something that touches the main ones regularly. One of the biggest of those is the data exchange. The data exchange is the machine-to-machine -machine beast. Okay. This is where the larger manufacturers will be able to run scripts on their systems and it will literally take their data and push it all the way through to the commission. So this, this is a, a, huge, uh, a huge module in itself. But it's, we, we can't even call it a project because okay. this, this thing is it's too big. It's a, it's a program. Okay. I spent a long time in there trying to explain to people at the start that it wasn't a project, that each individual module of the six and of the 14, they're projects, each and every one of them. So again, on top of that, we have the, I forgot, nearly forgot the most important part, the public site. Okay. The public site is going to take a selection of data from whatever the manufacturers, importers, et cetera, upload or input. and it's going to be available to the public so that in years to come, God forbid, if we're looking for a hip replacement and the doctor says, you're going to use product A, last year, you'd have said, okay, because you don't know any better. But next year, you're going to go look it up and you're going to be able to say, well, actually, that's rubbish. People have died. Whatever has happened, can I choose this one? This is a better one that I found. So it's, go it's going to inform people more. Oh, gee, absolutely. And I saw a great quote on some website last night where they were talking about one of the byproducts of the entire Udamed, MDR, etc. From the manufacturer's point of view, if there's litigation, under the new system, they will be able to very quickly put together their, their 
body of evidence we'll say to, to defend because everything is going to be there. All the safety notices, all the device data, both before and after it went into Udemy. So if I want to maybe look at some data from some manufacturers, I can go there as a normal person, not a yes. special professional without a specific access requested. Uh, and I can check what are the devices that they are manufacturing, the, the instruction for use for it, the labels they are using, et cetera, et cetera. There is going to be multiple searchable criteria. At the start, they might limit it maybe to the UDI and, and the company name. I don't know this for sure, but they might. Okay. Until they find how heavy the system is going to get used. There have been requests from professionals, like in hospitals. I want to scan this UDI. Mm-hmm. I want to connect directly to Udemed, and I want to find out all the information. Okay. So again, these are things that will be possible. Because once you have, once you have the data, you can wrap it up and spit it out in a million different ways. Okay, that's really, I think, really great. But oh, when, it's, it's, it's huge, huge. When can we start to use it now? When can, we, <laughs> when can the manufacturers start to register their products? Well, there's going to be nothing before March 26th. Okay. March 26th next year, that's when the registration starts. And after a successful registration, There'll be a few steps that they have to take, but then they'll be able to start entering data. So they, they entering will not device just, data. They will not just connect and just enter data. There is some f- steps before. So to register some, maybe I think yeah. register the company first, I suppose. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's four types of, okay, we're going to have the competent authorities in there. Yeah. They're just presumed. The European Commission, that's presumed. But after that, we have the manufacturers the importers, the authorized representatives, and the system or procedure pack producers. Okay. Each, of the, each of those types have to enter. And each of those have to enter individually. So if you are a, a big company who covers three or possibly all four types, you'll have to do four different registrations. After you do your registration, the competent authority then takes over. And they start checking. There's a, there's a lot of information being looked for when you're when you're registering. So, so just just to um, to to confirm what what you are saying. So, when you said the four types, so meaning that if a company, a big player, for example, has a manufacturing site, it has a distribution site, it has an importer because he's maybe outside of Europe, and he has an authorized representative uh, because he's not selling, he's not um, specifically based or headquarters mm-hmm. not specifically based in Europe. It will have to register all those places, all those actors inside Udemy. All except one. Okay. You mentioned distributor. Yeah. The distributors, strangely enough, do not have to register. Okay. But all the others, importer, manufacturer, system procedure pack producers, I think they used to be called assemblers in the old days. But anyway, they all have to register. Okay. And once they get validated by the competent authority, then they'll receive an email. Mm-hmm. The email will say, well done, you, you've been registered. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then they log on and get the SRN. So this oh. is the moment where they will get the SRN number. Yes, after successful validation, 
they have to log in to get it. It will not be emailed to them. Okay. And the process from the competent authority's point of view, I know a lot of people don't have a lot of sympathy for the competent authorities, yeah. but for this one, they have a huge task. Registrations open on the 26th of March. On the 26th of May, it's applicable. Yeah. They have two months to register thousands, to validate and register. So when you fill in your data, you're going to put in website, maybe your Erie number, maybe your trade names, um, upload a, a document to prove your company is who it says it is. They have to validate all these. They'll have to go check the website, check the details, check you as a person are able to register this company, if you have the, the, the rights to register this company. And the, the first person registering is hugely important. Okay. I'll get, I get, get to that in a second, but they're yeah. hugely important. Um, once, once you get, if you're refused, you'll receive a note back from the, within the system. And it's going to explain to you, okay, you're refused because these are the reasons. So then you go back to your application, you fix whatever. Maybe you accidentally typed the wrong Erie number or trade name, whatever, whatever the reasons, you'll be informed. Then you go back in, you fix what needs to be fixed, and you resubmit. And then you're at the back of the queue again. Okay. They're expecting up to 80,000 registrations. Initially, the commission were looking at 50,000, and it was, I think it was a medtech-provided number. But in the, in the varying working groups and the varying discussions we've had over the years, the number's increased. It's gone up to 80,000. And then when we go as far as clinical investigations, it might go further again because of sponsors, et cetera. That's a lot of things still under discussion there. But I mentioned that the, the first person to register was very important. Okay, you've now got your SRN number. Yeah. Okay. You still can't add any data, right? Okay. Because all that's set up is the company and the very first user. The very first user Udemed calls the LAA, the Local Actor Administrator. Okay. They are responsible for mandates, keeping the company information up to date, um, Stretcher for the company uh, in, on the Udamed system, is it that? Yes, yes, okay. that's, it, it is. But there's a second one on this as well. Okay. They then have a local user administrator. Okay, but the local user administrator and all the other users, they actually have to go to the Udamed site and register. They go to the Udamed site, they select their company, okay. say, I want to be part of that company. And the local... LAA can then validate the first ones, and he would normally validate like the local user administrator. Okay. And then the local user administrator, they will assign rights and duties to the subsequent users that come in, because you'll have like viewers, proposers, confirmers. Yeah. The words mightn't be exact, but that's roughly what they're going to be. Again, this is another part of Udemed, which people will definitely not be aware of, but they are going to have to have their own administration section. It can be outsourced to a, an outside entity, or they can look after it themselves. Okay. But they will, have, they will have to be careful with this as well, because if someone quits your company, 
the last thing you want is them being able to get back into your data. Yeah. So people are going to need to, to keep an eye on things like this. So as soon as you quit, you have to remove the access of, uh, of the people. There. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, I, but it's like if you're a nanny company. Yeah. But as now, soon as you quit, as, the administrator throws you out. Yeah, but as, as it's an external, uh, I don't know if it's external, but it's an external tool, if I can say it's not mainly part of yeah. the company. Yeah. So it's not like you remove the access of the person in the company and it removes also the access of Udamed or all the things. So it's mainly the... No, no, they're going to they're gonna have to keep uh, a really close eye on what they're doing with this. Okay. So again, need to be need to be a little bit careful with this. And uh, so the user is the one adding all the information. Yes. Now we're finally at the point where you can add the information. Okay. So you've gone through the entire registration process. You've assigned the rights and duties to the specific users. So the specific users they can manually enter the data. Okay. There is a huge amount of screens that they can play with. Uh, they, the adding a device, it's got five tabs, lots of information. The, oh God, there's so many, there's so many places to go with it. Oh, one thing they need to be very careful of, regardless of what information they're entering, yeah. they have to remember the GDPR applies. Okay. Some of this information and certain fields will be available to the public. So they need to be very, very cautious about what they're, especially on the free text fields. The bullion fields, we're all good. We can handle those. But the free text fields, if there's a little bit of information about a person in there, you could fall foul of the GDPR. So it's mainly regarding, for example, vigilance reporting. So when yes, we have yes, an issue absolutely. with a product, just not to mention it's with this patient, it was at this hospital, it was with this no. surgeon, it was with this thing, so... They really, they really do have to be very, very careful with that. But anyway, the actual devices. There's a huge amount of data. Like I said, you can enter it all on the GUI and you can be there for days per device, typing away or cutting and pasting, whatever way people are going to do it. But there is, there is a lot of them. Everything from the MDR or IVDR specific attributes, lots of them are Boolean fields. A lot of them are Boolean but you have to select something. Okay. Normally so you'll go in. Mainly yes or no. Yeah, but this is yes or no after you choose it. Okay. Because the commission couldn't decide if it's yes or no. That's not our, not their, not our, that's not their remit. Okay. But it's up to you to decide if it's yes or no. So these things, you decide what they are, but you won't be able to leave it in the middle. Okay. <laughs> You have to be so careful with these things. <laughs> Again, with the basic UDIs, the UDI DI, the secondary DI, the use of unit DI, and the package level DIs. There's a lot of yeah. DIs in here. So you, because yeah, if, if your product is just on one box, it's one UDI and UDI DI, if I can say. Uh, so, but if it's two in one box, so it's the one inside plus the one outside, etc. So is it that? The packet, that piece of the packaging, I can't tell you yet. Okay. But you're going to have, everything has to have a basic UDI. Okay. But then the UDI, DI, or DIs are below that. Some products may have a secondary DI. Okay. And then when you get to the, when you get to the packaging that you were talking about, the, each package has its DI as well. 
okay. but the pack the packaging itself in the system is like russian dolls okay one box two boxes inside that three boxes inside that and everything has to be put in the sequence so you need to like build it out as you go and you can add and delete things before you submit it the other things that people would need to be aware of and one of them that was spoken a lot about recently was the legacy devices yeah true and one of the issues with the legacy device and I'll talk about what the EU published on it the other day in a second. But one of the things with the legacy device is some of them already have UDIs because they're on sale. They're on sale in America. They've got yeah, the same with the FDA. So yeah, they already yeah. had a UDI since many years now. Yeah. So the only time you have to add a legacy device of the, of the current batch, if it's after March 26th, you have to add it. Okay. Even if it's still under the MDD, um, or the, yeah, under the MDD reg- directives. But if a vigilance issue happens, mm-hmm. you can only report a vigilance issue if the device exists in Udemet. So the legacy device would have to exist in Udemet. Okay? Okay. So the issue with the UDIs is you can't have a duplicate. So you cannot have one product with two UDI number? No, you, you can only have one UDI to one product. Okay. So if you enter your legacy device with your MDD. original US UDI, yeah. and it's all under MDD as far as we're concerned, and then your certificate runs out, and you have to come under the... MDR, there's so many letters in this. You have to come under the MDR regulations. Then you basically have to connect the two because there has to be full traceability. So the only way you can connect the two is with your UDI. But you can't because there's a duplicate. Okay. So the old legacy devices, when, when the commission published their document last week, or was last, yeah, last week I think it was, okay. the wording was very, very carefully chosen as it always is and they said should not have a udi okay they did not say could not okay they did not say has to have okay they said a legacy device should not but what they didn't mention was that there is the possibility of a clash later on in the system when you recertify under mdr so people need to keep that in mind and there again, is no, there is no solution for now. Well, there is a, there is a solution. What the, the, the commission, before, before I left, we were actually talking a lot about it because the legacy devices came late to us as well, late to us on the IT side of things. And what the commission is looking at doing is creating an UDMED-generated UDI for legacy devices. And then when you go from MDD to MDR, you would connect the two and use the UDI on the MDR side and the generated on the MDD side. And again, that'll give you full traceability throughout the entire life cycle. We're all interested in the whole life cycle of the device now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's still some other options under discussion within the commission at the moment, which they haven't publicized. 
but I understand, and even from the discussions I had before I left, there is a proposal to make things easier on manufacturers rather than having it generated one from Udemed and getting sent back to them and they send it back in again. There's, there's various options going to come up on this. So there's a lot, a lot of background thinking and talking going on on this one. Okay, so great. So, but actually, so as we are talking about the, the, the EU Commission, so what is now the situation with the EU Commission? Is there any communication about Udamed again or is there something coming or what, what's the plan? <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. There's always communication. It's just very, very slow. Okay. Uh, last week at the MedTech conference, Salvatore de Conto spoke. At the RAPS conference in Brussels, Eric Hansen spoke. Both of them said, everything is on time. Okay. Both of them said, everything will be available on March 26th next year. Okay. So, yeah, you, I'm, I hope they're right. I hope they're right. <laughs> all, all, we, all we can do is take them at their word. Okay, so we'll meet on March 26th and see if uh, if if we yeah. can if we can say yes, it's it's working or not. But uh, there is uh, because as you said, so the 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 MDR is live on May 26th. Uh, we have two months from March 26th to yeah, put yeah. that on the system. Let's say the worst case is not working on March 26th. So can we still uh, launch our products with M M the MDR or is it something that they will give us some exceptions or I don't know? That's a very good question. I don't know. Okay. That's the honest answer. Um, if, if Udemed wasn't there on the 26th of March, I, do, I honestly don't see why you couldn't launch your products because there is currently a transition period in place where you can certify early if the notified bodies were there. Yeah. That's but, another uh, issue. So mainly now, actually, there is a big team, I suppose, that is really working yes, on that. Yes. Yeah. Excellent team. Okay. There is 25 people at the moment working on the Udemed application from excellent business analysts and user interface designers to strong test team and absolutely excellent programs. We had some fantastic team leads and there's some really good programmers. Data Exchange, again, top class programmers in there. We, we were very lucky with the people that we got. Okay. And it's also a warning for the manufacturers, etc., out there. It took us a long time to get our hands on people. So they need to, to keep this in Keep this in mind as well. But there the really is a fantastic team in there and they are working very hard for the last two years. So we are confident that they are now really uh, full-time, if I can say, working hard to make this uh, going live uh, as, they, as soon as possible. So, yeah. They've been doing it for two years. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it definitely is one of the most stressful and busy and interesting projects that yeah. I've been involved in. It, it really was absolutely fantastic. No, it's great. So um, with your experience now, what if, if I am a manufacturer and um, I, I know that there is this, uh, this deadline related to Udamed coming yeah. and I know that I cannot do anything for now with Udamed, I can't register my products until March 26th. What can I do now, if I can say, to prepare myself for that? Because I, I think people or manufacturers should not wake up on the March 26th and say, oh, now I have to register my products in uh, 
in the Udamed system. So what they should do to be on a safe place on March 26th when we'll uh, launch Udamed? Something I've been saying for the last year, they have to plan. They have to start planning an IT project. They have to look at the information the commission has released so far, the, the data dictionary. Within weeks, we're going to have the XSDs, business rules. So we'll have all the components put together. It's huge. It really is hugely complex. Everybody thinks just, oh, yeah, it's just data, a bit of data. But putting the data together in the correct way is very, very complex. And what's coming from the commission, <clears throat> I've seen it. It will frighten manufacturers, or at least the IT people within the manufacturers. And what they need to do is they get this together. They have a quick look at it, and they have to do a, a ballpark estimate for how long they think a project will take. They will then need to do a skills gap analysis because in particular with the, the XML and XSDs, most programmers will turn around and say, oh yeah, I can do XML, it's not a problem. Okay. I was one of those. I said, yeah, yeah, not a problem. But this XML that's coming out of the commission and the XSDs and the abundance of business rules is huge. For the, for the non-technical, the XML is your data that you put together in a little structure. The XSD are the rules governing that XML. Okay. Like the patterns, like it must have X amount of letters and X amount of numbers. Okay. It must be a string, must be a number, something like that. But you can't put all your rules into an XSD. There's a lot of them in there, but you can't put them all in there. For, for example, if you select MDR as applicable, mm -hmm then you can't fill in all the attributes for IVDR. You can only fill in the ones. So again, rules like that have to be checked within a program. Okay. So you're going to have to, there's going to have to find someone who is expert on XML XSDs. They're going to have to decide on a language that they're going to write a program in to gather all the, to, to take all the data they have gathered, validate it against the business rules, then put it together in the XML so it can be validated against the XSD. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to machine to machine, then they have to package it up again into a little bundle, get an access point, which they will be able to do after they've registered. It's one of the things that the LAA does. He will request rights to do the, the machine to machine. But this requires a lot of people and it requires a project. And anybody who is sitting there on March 26th next year going, ah, oh, you know what? We must do this, are absolutely mental. Okay. <laughs> because there's a shortage of IT people. There's a, there's a length of time that they require to understand what's come out of the commission. I mean, I was in the middle of this all the way, and I've looked at some things, and I've gone, I have no idea. And I'd have to go back to the, the guys in the team inside and go, what was that about? And that's being on the inside. That's being really as close as you possibly can get to it. So for the people who are coming at it with virgin eyes, they've got a lot of planning to do. What, what, they're gonna, but they're, one of the things they're going to have to decide, 
once they have a quick look at it and figure out the times and figure out the days and the costs, they have to decide, are they going to do it in-house or are they going to give it to someone outside? Yeah, exactly. And because this, this isn't their day-to-day business. Yeah, and when you are, when you are describing, if I can say, this, uh, this process, it looks really like the MDR story, if I can say. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. at the beginning of MDR, we say, yeah, um, May 2020 is far away, it's fine. And then we have those companies that started to look for people to help them and others that says, let's wait first to see first what is coming. And now there is a kind of a shortage on, of people in, in the market sometimes to, to help on that. And now we have the same story with Udamed, where we need to start a project and we have to start it early and to find the right people to help yeah. us, etc. So it's, it looks the same, uh, the same really. It's a project in a project, if I can say. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I spoke with uh, one company who shall remain nameless and this would be maybe about nine months ago. Okay. And they were hiring anybody they could find with UDI experience. Okay. That means a lot of people are already gone. So for the huge manufacturers, your, your top 10 guys, they've got the big budgets. They can do this. But for the, the smaller companies, you're still looking at 100, 150,000 to put something like this together. And then you've got to maintain it afterwards. Yeah, true. Because the commission is going to update things. Yeah. And what we're looking at coming out now is the, the UDI side. Vigilance will come later. Vigilance, the mere form is a monster. Um, and then the clinical investigations. These, so whatever team you put together, I think you're going to have them for a long time. Yeah, you need to keep them. You need to train them and yeah, to, yeah, yeah, them yeah. to yeah, nurture them, if I can say. But it, so, it really is a big investment. So uh, as we are talking about that, so now let's talk a bit more about udamed.eu. So I think you choose really a, a well-domain okay. name. So udamed.eu is really <laughs> something that uh, I was surprised when I see that. So that I thought it was a, a commission, uh, commission website or something, but uh, apparently not when we had a small, a small talk about that. But what, what can you do with, with, uh, for, for those companies that, are, that are, need some help, I can say? Okay, firstly, the Udamed.eu. Yeah. In 2016, I registered the .eu, the .com, and the .net. And they had been sitting there for a long time. So obviously the, obviously the commission didn't want them. So I, again, I thought it was a very useful thing for the public because they're going to need help. The, 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 there's no message. The, the, the manufacturers are genuinely going to need help, the importers, etc. So the problem is Udamed. So Udamed.eu, it's, it's just no problem. for them. <laughs> so uh, with, re- with regards to what I can do to help them or what we can do to help them, we, we can help them in any way that they want to do with Udamed. I mean, the, the, the commission, they're going to provide a level of support, but it's not going to be, they're not going to have dozens of people inside in a room supporting 80,000 manufacturers with 250,000 plus users. That's not going to happen because I've worked in places before that had full support centers going. Um, For example, uh, telecoms. Yeah. We used to, the development team was up on a mezzanine deck 
looking down at about a hundred people with ridiculous headsets like this and all day long helping people's problems. That is the level of a support team that the commission would need if they were going to give everybody the support that they need. So that's, that's not going to happen. A lot of people are going to be, they'll give a lot of written words. They'll give a lot of uh, frequently asked questions or answered questions and manuals till they come out your ears. But nobody reads the manuals. None of us. Even when things go wrong, we won't read them anyway. So one of the things that we decided to do, and one of the reasons that we set up the Udemy.eu was for support. We can help them with, with support services. With the complexity of the XML, starting in July, we're going to be running training courses. If your company wishes to keep everything in-house, but wishes to save some money by getting up to speed quicker on the XML, we can provide training courses. The biggest part of our offerings, well, in addition to consultancy, but the biggest part of our offerings is going to be software as a service. Okay. Where we, will, we will supply you a template. You populate this template and you throw it back to us. We'll validate it against all these business rules. We'll convert it to the correct XML structure and we'll even submit it to the commission if you want us to. So that, and that's going to be far more cost effective, believe me, than then hiring the wheel 80,000 times. Yeah, and then hiring also a full team of IT people to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even, even if they have these people in-house, if they're working on this, they're not working on the stuff they were supposed to be working on. So it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things there that they need to be careful of. The access points. The access points, they can be fairly easy to set up. You might have it set up and sending the first message within 40 hours. But to integrate that with the application that your development team have just written, to read their messages, encapsulate them the right way, push them to commission, read back the messages you get back from the commission, that's not cheap. Okay. Again, you need a system integrator to do stuff like that. So they can use our access point if they're doing their own data, if we're doing their data. Anything anybody wants, we can help them with. But there is nobody out there offering the level of support, the training, or has the level of Udemed knowledge that we have. We're the only company in the world to have had actual hands-on experience. That's great. I think so, uh, so far, so let's, good. Let's see. As I said, let's see what, uh, how it will be working. But uh, can, can manufacturers start now, for example, to prepare all those templates and have that ready? Or it's something that they should really wait until the last moment to, to work on that? Oh, they can start now. So they can already contact you now and uh, already ask you yeah. to... Uh, here are my, da my data, let's, pre let's prepare some templates already so that, uh, that we can work. Uh, we, we've, we've already designed the templates to meet what's coming up. Does it, we, have to, we have to wait until the commission releases the XSDs. That's within three weeks. Okay. I hope. It might even be this week. And once they are released, we'll be ready to go. So you know, and then you know the rules that should be applied for everything. So then yeah. you know exactly how you should uh, validate your, the, the XML file to be sent to the commission. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is when um, we'll, we'll, st we'll start our training courses as well then in July. Good, yeah. So where, it will be live courses or? We will go directly into companies. We're okay. going to set up the, the bigger workshops with the 50, 100 people in there as well. It's, it's, 
Yeah, it's it's looking like it's going to be very busy. So again, if people want us to to help them come next year, there's going to be a queue. Good. So the the, the sooner people start working on it, even if they don't use udemed.eu, but they have to start looking at it now because this is not something that's going to go away. This is something they have to do. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I said it's a hot topic, actually. Uh, we hear a lot of things about that, a lot of rumors, a lot of uh, things. Will it work? Will it not work? Uh, what should we do now, etc.? So I think it's something that people have to prepare. But, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen and read a lot of the rumors online from the, the Udemed experts, and I have no idea where they got their information because it is... They definitely weren't involved in Udemed. Let's just put it that way. Okay, good. So where can people follow you then? Okay, we're on, we're on LinkedIn. You can search for udemed.eu. Okay. Um, the, the website's udemed.eu. The LinkedIn is Richard Houlihan. I'll, I'll find it and I'll put that in the, in the show notes. So there, there, okay, there. perfect, perfect, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But again, if... We're, we're here to help. Good. Anybody uh, needs it. So I, I talked to you about uh, also some, uh, some, some data that you can maybe share with, with people. I think you, you prepared also a document maybe that we can download uh, that people can also get to get more uh, information about, uh, about Udamed. Yeah, some, some, ba- some basic comments. Some basic comments. So I'll put that also on the show notes that they can also see, um, as you said, some basic comments about Udamed that they can download directly. Uh, and uh, also get your detail if they want to contact you for, I suppose, for any question also. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm getting loads of questions already. So great, so great. Okay, so uh, Richard, it was really a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast. Uh, I think it was really a valuable information for all the people that were asking uh, them uh, a lot of questions about uh, Udamed, about uh, what they should do now. So as we said, they should start a project and really start to hire uh, some yep. people to to help and not think that uh, they have to start to th- to work on Udamed by March 26, but really to to um, plan it now, if I can say. Uh, and uh, yeah, so then you can help them uh, anyway for any of their uh, any of their process and uh, to be ready for uh, for um, uh, having all their data in the, in the system. So great, Monir, thank you very much. Maybe we can do a follow-up on March 26th. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's plan. I will plan that already in my calendar to contact you just before to make a follow-up. And uh, maybe to a uh, 27th, just to see, uh, to, to record something. <laughs> <on> 27th. <laughs> okay, Amir. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you, Richard. And have a good day. You too, man. You too. Bye-bye.